0: Galatians chapter 4. The letter to the Galatians chapter 4. Guests, this is a safe place to be new to the Bible. If you didn't bring one, all you need to do is Google Galatians 4 and the initials ESV. ESV is an English standard version you'll want to see for yourself. I'll do all the rest, the letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 21. The translator heading reads, Example of Hagar and Sarah. Hagar and Sarah. We continue our study of this book, perhaps one of the earliest of the Apostle Paul's books in the New Testament. It's a bit raw, feels unguarded. I think that's part of why we like it, why we enjoy it. This is Paul, it is maybe least politically correct, his most shoot you straight and tell you like it is letter. Not that he isn't truthful in his other letters, just that here and like, say, the Corinthians or to the Thessalonians, Paul seems to be a little more provocative, and we've actually reached the end, today we reached the end of the f- first of two major sections of the letter in Galatians. Since chapter 1, verse 1, Paul has been bringing the heat, okay? He's been making his appeal, his argument, in opposition to the so-called troublemakers of the day who had been bothering, causing trouble with the Galatians, uh, who, and, they, and they, who this party wants, the new Galatian Christians, to act like Jewish Christians. Christians. They want the new Galatian Christians, who this letter is written to, to act like Jewish Christians, and not, not necessarily because the Jewish Christians don't like the Gentile pagan cultures and practices, although it kind of feels like it, doesn't it? It's a bit racist, but it's not fundamentally. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. But this is about how and what a person must do to be reconciled to God, to be made righteous and whole, to be acceptable that's what this is all about how to be acceptable and accepted by god as a person and as a people what we're about to read is Paul's concluding remarks. I think of like a trial on an attorney. Paul's concluding marks, remarks on the subject. The, ne- the next two chapters, the last two chapters, are all about how we live in light of everything he wrote in the first four chapters. You're going to love it, This, but this is his closing argument. His closing argument. And if you've ever... If you ever had the thought that it might be hard to follow my train of thought as an amateur preacher, Right? If you're here on a Sunday morning thinking, where is my pastor going with all of this that he is saying? Well, exhibit A, see if you can catch on what Paul is saying. Here, here Paul, what Paul is attempting to say, for for many, for this may be perhaps one of the most controversial and confusing, confusing things Paul has written yet in the in, in the letter to the Galatians, these are fighting words. This is to reference a terrible oh, genre of comedy and jokes. This is Paul's attempt at one of those your mama is so fill-in-the-blank jokes, okay? <laughs> listen, watch. Or one of those Dr. Phil, you know, paternity test episodes. you got to ask yourself, listen, <laughs> get ready, buckle up. Ask yourself, if you know your Bible, it's going to become clear. Ask yourself, why is Paul bringing up an ugly story about Abraham's past? Why, why, why does Paul bring up an ugly story about Abraham's past? Paul's concluding remarks, his gotcha moment, before he moves on to what is, it's like to live in the good of the Gospel for one who has been justified by faith and not by works. Why does Paul drag the most revered, respected, you know old guy father of the people of god his name through the mud where are you going with this paul we should all be asking look with me i'm gonna attempt to explain i'll read then pray galatians 4 beginning with verse 21 follow along paul writes verse 21 tell me You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants one is from mount sinai bearing children for slavery she is hagar now hagar is mount sinai in arabia she corresponds to the present jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children verse 26 but the jerusalem above is free and she is our mother For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as The very words of God, would you join me in a brief prayer? Father, we want to understand. So feed us. Feed us this morning from your book. Feed us spiritual food, for we are hungry. We need your strength. We need health. We need life. Teach us, train us, save us. Show us your Son. As we peer into these paragraphs, we pray in his name, amen. Amen. Okay, now I love this. Listen, see if you recognize this children's book. I'm, I'm going to read you a children's book. I'm not going to show you the pictures. That's really hard. You've got to be a trained librarian to be able to do that, read it upside down. But listen, a mother bird sat on her egg. Oh, yeah. The egg jumped. Oh, oh! Said the mother bird, "My baby will be here. He will want to eat. I must get something for my baby to eat." She said, "I will be back." You know this. So she, away she went. The egg. The egg jumped. It jumped and it jumped and it jumped. Out came the baby bird. There he is, and there's a picture of him. Where is my mother? He said. He looked for her. He looked up. He did not see her. He looked down. He did not see her. I will go and look for her, he said. So away he went. Down, out of the tree he went. Down, 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 plop. Right? It was a long way down. He could not fly, but he could walk. Now I will go and find my mother, he said. He did not know what his mother looked like. He went right by her. He did not see her. He came to a kitten. Are you my mother? (laughs) He said to the kitten, and cats doing what they do, The kitten just looked and looked. (laughs) It did not say anything. The kitten was not his mother, so he went on. Then he came to a hen. Are you my mother? He said to the hen, No, said the hen. The kitten was not his mother. The hen was not his mother. So the bird went on. Then he came to a dog. Are you my mother? He said to the dog. And dogs talk, right? So I am not your mother. I am a dog. He's helpful, right? Said the dog. The kitten was not his mother. The hen was not his mother. The dog was not his mother. So the baby bird went on. Now he came to a cow, are you my mother? (laughs) He said to the cow, how can I be your mother, said the cow, I'm a cow. (laughs) The kitten and the hen were not his mother. The dog and the cow were not his mother. Did he have a mother? I did have a mother, said the baby bird. I know I did. I have to find her. I will, I will. Now the baby did not walk. He ran. Then he saw a car, and the baby baby bird did not stop. He ran on and on. Now he looked way, way down, and he saw a boat. There she is, said the baby bird. He called to the boat, but the boat did not stop. The boat went on. He looked up, way up, and he saw a plane. Here I am, mother, he cried out, but the plane did not stop. The plane went on. Just then, if you know the story, this is the exciting part, just then, the baby bird saw a big thing. It was a steam shovel this must be my mother. There she is, he said. There is my mother. Mother, mother, I said, here I am, mother, he said to the big thing, but the big thing just said snort. "Snort." (laughs) And it scooped up the baby bird. Oh, you are not my mother, said the baby bird. You are a snort. (laughs) I have to get out of here. But the baby bird could not get away. The snort went up. It went way, way, up, 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 up. And up went the baby bird. But now where was the snort going? Oh, 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 what is the snort going to do to me? Get me out of here. Just then the snort came to a stop. Where am I? Said the baby bird. I want to go home. I want my mother. Then something happened. The snort put the baby bird back in the tree the baby bird was home just then the mother bird came back to the tree do you know who i am she said to her baby yes i know who you are said the baby bird you're not a kitten (laughs) you're not a hen you're not a dog you're not a cow you're not a boat or a plane, or a snort. (laughs) You're a bird. You're my mother. You're my mother. There's something very special about a mother. Even if you've never met your mother, even if your mother treated you badly, terribly, even if you want nothing to do with your mother, even if... (laughs) Even if you've been adopted, or all you know is a grandmother, there is something very special about a mother. Even if she isn't perfect, and to some degree, as with everyone, there are no perfect mothers, not even close, and if you're a lady in the room who is a mother, you know that better than anyone else, but still, still, there's something very special about a mother. And, and there is an instinct within us all to want our mother. It's really neat. You can see it if you're a parent. For all kinds of reasons, and in particular this morning, Paul Paul's going to pull on that heartstring. There's something, something about us that wants our mother, and and feels the need to find our mother because when we find our mother, listen. We find ourselves. We find ourselves, our identity, our true identity. When we find our mothers, we find answers to all kinds of other questions. Questions about life, about the world around us, where we come from, where we're going, where is home, where I can be safe and secure. That's, that's why every time I get sick, there's a little tinge in my heart. Um <laughs> Call. I want to call my mom. I got the flu, mom. What's my mom going to do? She lives in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something there. Even meaning. Definitely our identity. As, As the baby bird answers after his big quest, when he finds what he's been looking for, we can all relate. When we find it, I know who you are. I know who you are. You're me. You're a bird. You're my mother. The connection is made. That's Paul's concluding argument. Picture a courtroom closing argument. Before he moves on to how to live in light of all that God has done for us, it's going to be a great last two chapters about the Holy Spirit in particular. But first, first he makes one last, you might say, heartstring appeal. It feels really heavy, but it's not really for any and all of the new Christians living in and around the region of Galatia and us as well. Us as well as we look around and ask the question, is this it? Is that, is, that it? is that what I'm looking for? Are you my mother? And Paul said, don't settle for a poor imitation. We are children of the promise. We're children of the promise, not of the flesh. Or, or to say it another way, our mother, our mother is grace, not the law. Our mother is grace and not the law. And for the one who has experienced regeneration, has received Christ by faith, and as we receive Him, and all that He has accomplished, and we experience that, and supernaturally we're just transformed. All of a sudden, being born again of a new mother, when we come face to face, we can say, I know who you are. Grace, you're my mother. Not that cruel trash that I once trusted myself and rules and regulations. Grace is our mother. Let, 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 allow me, <laughs> this is a tough text, allow me to walk you through the text. Let me show you how Paul makes his case. He does it in three stages or maybe he uses three categories. He's got all kinds of pictures and symbolism here and stuff like that, but he's comparing and contrasting three times two mothers, two sons, and he uses two cities. Two mothers, two sons, two cities. That's how we're going to walk through the text. First, two mothers. Look again with me at verse 21. Let me show you. Verse 21. Paul writes, tell me, you who desire to be under the law do you not listen to the law? Now, now or in other words, stop right there. Hey, you guys who uh, want to follow a bunch of rules and regulations and stuff in order to prove yourselves worthy of God's favor and his approval, to be accepted, to be identified as one of God's children, have you, this is what Paul is saying, have you not read your Bibles? Have you not read your Bible? Notice Paul uses the word law in two different ways in just this one sentence. Look again, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, and he, and he means that, as in the moral and ethical codes given to Israel, mediated through Moses and the prophets, probably the most pertinent of all the rules here in mind that's being debated here in Galatia having to do with the practice of circumcision. That's why Paul calls the troublemakers the circumcision party, which doesn't sound like a party to much of a party to me, but that's what they call it, the circumcision party. He's basically saying, do you not listen to the law? Do you not listen to the law? And see, he switches right there. Now he's referring to the law and its entirety, entirety of the sacred scriptures. That's that's why he continues as he does. Look, verse twenty-two. He now has no rules here, no ethical obligations. This isn't the Ten Commandments. Verse twenty-two: For it is written that Abraham had two sons. He's speaking of Genesis and a whole swath of Genesis. Says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Now listen, he's saying, aren't you guys Bible people? But interestingly, Paul's already, he, he this is deep. He, he, Abraham has more than two sons in, in Genesis. He has more than two sons, but that's not the point that Paul is trying to see. You're going to see that in a moment. Look, Paul, Paul points out as is recorded in Genesis, Abraham had two sons. We've already seen Abraham in the letter. He's bringing it up again one One son was born of a slave woman and one was born of a free woman. There's other sons, but he's making a point here. He's got two sons, one of a slave woman and one of a free woman. Two mothers, two mothers, one father, Father Abraham. Father Abraham was given the promise, a promise by God himself. Go and make a, God made a covenant with him when he was still childless. He was a pagan. He had done nothing to deserve any of this. (laughs) God was going to make him a father of a great nation and be a blessing to all the nations throughout the earth. But as the story goes, Abraham at that point was already really, really old. And so was his wife. Though we can't say she was old, but we just say, so is his wife. Don't want to mention her age. But he was really old, and he had a wife who we imply old too. And when they had waited many, many, many years, patiently waiting for this son to appear, for them to conceive, and it now appeared as if there was no chance, no chance at all that his wife would conceive, his wife gave him her servant. They took matters into their own hands. That's how the story goes. This is what happened. They took matters into their own hands and tried to achieve what God had promised by conceiving a son through other extraordinary means, if you catch my drift. The first son, right? Paul's saying, the first son was conceived and born by the slave woman, Hagar. His name was Ishmael. Ishmael. The second son, Paul's saying and we we agree everyone's agreeing at this point the second son was conceived and born by the free woman Sarah Abraham's wife it's the only time she's referred to as the free woman in all the scripture as God promised she conceived and bore a son named Isaac Hara Hagar and Sarah or (laughs) Hara Hagar and Sarah two mothers now listen, now, now Paul's going to switch two sons. Verse 23. Verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, as in according to human effort. Okay? Right? While the son of the free woman was born through promise, as in according to faith. As in nothing they did. And now comes the Crazy controversial part because so far this has all been a matter of record. Here we go, but no one has disagreed so far. But now Paul drops the bomb, verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. (laughs) Allegorically, stop right there. A scary word if you've been around a church any length of time that takes the interpretation and the application of scripture seriously, as we do, as you do. I love that about us. A scary word. Allegorically, <laughs> allegory. You might be thinking, "Oh no. Paul, oh, Paul,'s going to dive into some sort of postmodern, right? Truth is relative, meaning. Me- meaning is in the eye of the beholder, kind of garbage, but that's not what's happening here. Not at all. Listen. What he means by allegory here is that although the figures in the events, although the figures in the events were real and meaningful, there was something more. At least let's say he perceives a deeper level that could be benefited from that story. There's there's more than here that, that meets the eye. We can use this. There are layers of meaning here, more to glean, something we can deduce that isn't necessarily de- introducing a new concept, but but perhaps as the patterns emerge in the story, we can observe truths that reinforce what we already know. That's what's going on here. So here it is, verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Here's the two sons. Two mothers, two sons. One one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar, the slave woman. Let me explain. Paul, Paul says she represents allegorically, not literally, but allegorically, the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant. She's associated with Mount Sinai. The geographic location of the giving of the law, literally a mountain place associated not with promise, but rather the giving of the law. Mount Sinai, the giving of the law. You know, like Charleston, Heston, two tablets. But but the two tablets are copies, not one through five, six through ten, but enough theological nerd complaints. Um, (laughs) Mother number one, Hagar, Stands for the law. Her offspring forever under the shackles of the law. Slaves. Well, that's not a new topic here in Galatians, is it? Remember from past weeks, the law is good for one thing and one thing only. If you're confused, if you think Christianity is about like a set of things that we do and we act like and that we act good, and because we're good, we're Christians. Now, listen. The law is good for only one thing. Back in chapter 3, verse 22, killing the rebel. The law imprisoned everything under sin. It was powerless to change us. It still is. The law made no one righteous and holy, contrary to popular belief. It was designed to convict us and compel sinners like us to look outside of ourselves for relief. As Charles Spurgeon, great 1800s preacher in London, said, the law is the most rigorous master in the world. The law is the most rigorous master. No wise man would love its service. (laughs) No wise man would love its service. For after all you, you have done, the law never gives you a thank you for it, but says, go on, sir, go on. Spurgeon says, the poor sinner trying to be saved by the law is like a blind horse going round and round in the mill and never getting a step further, but only being whipped continually. The more he does, the more tired he becomes, the worse it is for him. That's what the law is like. And if that's what you feel like when you think about the Lord and you think about this this book and you think about the church, whipped continually... The more work you do, the tireder you become, the worse it is for everyone. That's not the gospel. It's not what we believe. That's Hagar at Mount Sinai. Hagar, the slave, Ishmael, the slave, the law, our jailer. Verse 25. Now, it gets even crazier. Buckle your seatbelts. Verse 25. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds To the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Okay, this may be like this is the who's your mom, your mama is whatever kind of joke. This is the worst thing that Paul could have said at this moment. Connect the dots here. Maybe you don't see it. What did everyone expect Paul to say at this moment? They expected him to say Hagar and her son Ishmael were the children not of the promise. They're slaves. Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac corresponds with the city of Jerusalem. The Jews and their well-defined, rigorous, law-defining culture they they are the sons of abraham hagar and ishmael were the gentiles living god forsaken lawless lives down in arabia that's what you'd expect keep the story straight right right but that's not what paul says no here's the allegory he writes hagar is mount sinai in arabia she corresponds with the present jerusalem for she is in slavery Do you see what he's saying With her children. Paul calls the Judaizers, the the Gentiles, Did, did you catch it? See what he did. He comes from the line of Hagar and Ishmael, Jerusalem. But it's like a home wrecker here. Paul says, the Judaizers in Jerusalem are the sons of Hagar, the slave. There's no salvation there. How did Paul get here? It's crazy allegorical interpretation, no. Because like Hagar, the Judaizers, as they submit themselves to the law, as they come under the law and look to the law to do what it was never designed to do, to make them righteous, when they misplaced their faith in God and located it in the law, even though they're reading the law, the Bible, their Bibles, they align themselves with the city of Ishmael, the city not of promise, the city that believes God helps those who help themselves. Their mother is Hagar. Two mothers, two sons. But he, he now, now we're into cities. What? Cities, keep keep up. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above, see, here's the cities. The Jerusalem above is free. And that's a beautiful phrase. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Are you my mother? you're a Christian she is our mother Church Paul saying you are the heavenly city God's people set apart and different from every other city verse 28 you brothers like Isaac are children of promise in sharp contrast to a city enslaved by a law Paul describes a new future already, but not yet spiritual city that is disconnected from the then present day Jerusalem, a city above. Void of the trappings of law keeping. Void of the monolithic body of precepts. Rules prescribing every movement and every moment of our lives. Void of of a performance-based evaluation system. Paul introduces a second city, the free city. You know what it's like to come across this city? What it's like to catch a whiff of the smell of, and you know, city smell, right? A city that smells like freedom. What, what happens? You break in the song. That's why we sing. You might wonder, okay, here, okay, I think for us, singing's normal. Unfortunately, it's not normal even for a church for everyone to be singing. I love it. People all the time ask us, can you turn down the sound? I'm visiting the church. It's too loud. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but we barely have the speakers on. You're going to have to talk to them (laughs) because they love to sing. And then you might wonder, well, why do we sing? Some of us sing even in our small group. So we sing when we meet to pray. We sing because this is what happens when we smell the freedom, when we experience we come across our mother. That's what happens right here. Verse 27 Quoting another part of the Bible that they should know. Rejoice, O barren one. Who's that? Sarah and her son, Isaac. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. That's Sarah. Break forth and cry aloud, you are not in labor. <laughs> For the children of the desolate one, the ones that felt hopeless, couldn't do it on your own the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. You are the children of promise. Born of the free woman Sarah. Born again into a new hope. A living hope. Set free from the requirements of the law. Not by abolishing the law as as if the law was a mistake. Not at all. No, we are free on account of another. Man who kept the law completely, fulfilled the law in every way, was born under the law, a direct descendant of Abraham himself, the promised one. Abraham's seed, as we read earlier in Galatians. Paul, I love it, gives a little bit of, you know, grammar, vocab stuff here. Seed, I mean, as in singular seed. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the true son of Abraham to whom God made the promise. Galatians 3.16 All then who believe in him and trust in him to carry us through the storm of life. This is what he's talking about earlier in chapter 3. And into the safe harbor of that eternal celestial city, those men and women and children to be called the sons of God. Galatians 3.16 So answer the question Who are the sons of Abraham? Who are the heirs of the riches of the Creator and every good thing imaginable? Who is righteous? Who is righteous? Jesus and all who are in Him, in Him, one with Him, who are united with Him identified with jesus in every way not yet all the way but slowly progressively we grow and change god is changing us forming us regenerating us restoring us we're going to get to all that in the last two chapters those who can say god never has and never will hope help those who help themselves can it be any clearer than that god has never ever helped those who help themselves Those people live in a different city. They have a different mother. The good news, the gospel that Christ died for our sins, every one of your sins, even the ones you're not thinking about right now and don't feel guilty about. You feel no condemnation. You're happy to keep doing it. You're stuck in your sin. He died for all of them. The good news, it's not a a source of empowerment for better and a more productive life. Oh, I read, I heard, I read a preacher say that this week. Oh gosh, I went onto social media just for a moment. My heart, (laughs) whatever, just shrunk. No, no jesus is a source of redemption from slavery and the gerbil wheel of mount sinai jesus is a source of redemption for the powerless the gospel says jesus defeated every enemy and every sin and in the end, he, as we sung this morning, I love it, He defeated death itself. He reigns. That's what the good, good news says. And you too, church, that's what he said here. This is unthinkable. You too, we will reign with Him over all creation one day. As free men and women. Not because of anything we've done. But something we received. Through faith. The Savior breaks the power of sin and sets the prisoner free. Such a familiar line. But if we could just live in the good of that. His blood breaks the power of sin. His life. His death. And sets a prisoner free. We What does it look like to find your mother? It's to encounter the freest people who live on planet Earth. Oh, we might be suffering. Oh, our lives might not be pretty. Oh, this week stunk. And I don't know what my future holds. And my bank account is empty. And my kids are angry with me. Or worse. My wife is struggling in my husband is wayward but yet there is a whiff of freedom that always turns into song something really interesting that he ends right here at the end you might be wondering about this on verse 28 and following look with me let me just show you real quick Almost concluding, he says, Now you, verse 28, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. There, there's our mother. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. This is interesting. He writes, verse 30. But what does the scripture say? <laughs> and he, he quotes Sarah, <laughs> who. Not blameless either. Was she? No. Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Hmm. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Listen. This curious struggle Paul identifies between the slave person and the free person. How curious this is my interpretation by nature we hate freedom and we oh we crave rules give me a list of rules and the person that we encounter who's free and doesn't isn't overly preoccupied and i'm just saying that that we aren't too Live according to the law in the sense of this law is given to us that we might know what glorifies God, what God is like, and oh, what I'm to be like, to be conformed into the image of Christ Himself, to be like my elder good brother. Oh, goodness, not at all, but, and that's what the next two chapters are, to live if you peek down. Chapter 5, verse 1, that verse can go either way. This text or the next text, we'll do it in both. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why would he, Paul have to say that? Because people want to submit others to, hey, I'm wearing a yoke, you put on your yoke too. Let's go round and round and get tireder and tireder. And it turns out worse for all of us. That's what I think it says here. I think that's what it means. Paul basically saying, you're, you're sons of the promise daughters of the promise your mother is Sarah your mother is Mount Zion heaven you're free and don't be surprised right three four whole chapters now Paul's been arguing don't be surprised that some are going to try to convince you that a circumcision party is a really great time (laughs) no listen one commentator said this is his summary of the whole passage and i don't know where he gets this from but he says listen christ is not a sheriff he's not around making sure everyone is keeping the law he's the lamb of god which takes away the sins of the world who's your mother is your mind and heart in your life full of the desire looking for the law are you my mother are you my mother hey here's a good list of five tips on how to be a christian on the internet that's a bad idea why is this sermon not got a list of rules and things for me to do or for the guy sitting in front of me to do because he really needs to do those things that's what it looks like Listen, we're not in control. We're sons and daughters of the promise, and the promise still stands. And its arms are wide open welcoming all the weary, tired and burdened by the fact that you have not kept the law. Convicting you. We're not in control. It's it's a promise. It's not something according to the flesh. We're not good. The law has taught us that, but but for the one who can say, oh, Sarah's my mother, Mount Zion's my mother, Grace is my mother, we can say we are free. (laughs) And if we are free, and identity is everything, if we are free, we don't need a nice list of things nice list of things to do to know that we are right or wrong we're children of the free woman we're united to Christ all that is his is yours and one day you'll actually see it so would you rejoice with me and with us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and sing would you pray with me father father What a good thing it is to walk into your city and to be called your sons, to be your children. There's nothing higher, no higher identity. Not men, not male, not female, not whatever, not a certain profession, not a certain position, not a way we serve in the church or in our community, or even the way we conduct our lives, our identity hidden in Christ Now belonging to you and your promise and your city, we sing and we celebrate and we rejoice for we are free. Free from the condemnation that comes from the law. Free to love. Free to enjoy you forevermore, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.